This is Nick Pickerell, curator of the Open Table. And, and I'm Wendy Brockhouse, assistant curator of the Open Table. And we're joined right now by Chris Logan, a local pastor at Keystone United Methodist Church. Um, I'm going to ask you to share a little bit about yourself here in just a sec, but I want to give everybody the reason why we are having this short podcast here. A couple Sundays ago, we invited Chris Logan to speak uh, as part of our welcome series, uh, a series where we're looking at ways that the church and society at large says that we welcome people, but in reality, that welcome is often limited uh, based on hidden expectations that we may have of others. So we reached out to Chris and we asked him to come to speak to why it is that 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning at most churches in America, why is it that that is still the most segregated hour? So with that being said, Chris is here with us. Unfortunately, our recording didn't work the night of, and so we've asked him to come back so we can have a short conversation. So Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, everybody. My name is Chris Logan, associate pastor at Keystone. I was born in Detroit, Michigan, Uh, came to Kansas City seven or eight eight years ago uh, as a Teach for America teacher, Uh, taught for three years as a teacher, and then went to seminary and pursued the ministry, Um, and now I'm here. That's great. That's so great. And and Chris, it was such a fantastic conversation that you facilitated at the open table. Uh, would you be able to give us a few brief talking points of uh, just some of the things that you talked about that night? Yeah, absolutely. Well, of course, that, that quote comes from uh, Martin Luther King's speech, where he's going through a list of things that um, need to happen for people to stay awake in the hour of the Great Revolution. And his second point was that we need to do something about discrimination, racism, and and the way that we've um, segregated ourselves. And he mentions the fact that we have to come to terms with the fact that church, the church hour, 11 o'clock in the morning, is the most segregated hour in America. And so my um, take on it was how do we handle this and, and deal with it in a way that's intentional, that's not going to cause more harm than it does good. Um, I come from the black church. Um, I was born into a Baptist church in Detroit, Michigan. And it was a wonderful experience for me because it was so different than the experience I experienced outside of the church. Um, people were allowed to be loud. That we, we yelled, we laughed, we cried. Some of us even screamed in the middle of church. And it was okay because it was... Um, an authentic expression of our humanity. Not only that, but we had, it was the only place that I knew where black people were in the center of culture and leadership of an organization. Um, My grandfather was on the deacon board and we were able to set the norms of what it meant to be church and and to be people. And that's something that um, a lot of black people don't have that opportunity outside of the black church. And so as we approach this conversation of the most segregated hour, we need to first really uh, do some introspection and do some research as to how God might have used this to bring um, legitimacy and um, authenticity and value to a people. And how do we carry that into our desire to, to be a more multicultural expression of the church? There are a couple things that you mentioned that 
that have piqued my interest. One of the things that you mentioned was the fact that we needed to be we need to be intentional, and we want to try to figure out a way to be a multicultural, multiracial body, which is what we are. But how, how do we do this together in in a way that does more good than it does harm? So so how do we get there? And and I know that that's a that's a tricky, nuanced conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'd be curious to hear some of the things that you think uh, would help to maybe bridge. Mm-hmm. I think um, one of the things that, um, there's probably many, but one of the things that comes to mind is that you have to uh, create a community of people where they feel comfortable being uncomfortable. Working in mostly white congregations for most of my ministry, I've learned how to be uncomfortable with the liturgy and the way that things are have been set up and know that this is not going to reflect my own experience or my own um, desires. And so uh, how do you spread that out um, amongst all the people and say, this is this is our space. I'll never forget, I went to a church in Kalamazoo, Michigan, where um, it was approaching multicultural. And I'll never forget, uh, during worship, and this is a mostly white congregation, but a black lady just started screaming and yelling. and. The pastor got on the um, the, the stage and he said, uh, "We uh, we we allow people to worship and do whatever they want to do." Like David, he he danced so wildly they took his clothes off. His clothes <laughs> fell off. And he said, "Our only rule in our church is that you have to keep your clothes off." <laughs> and so, That's so great. And, and, you know, so there's a way of like um, of of disarming that situation, but also fostering it and allowing people to contribute to worship in ways that are meaningful to them. Yeah, and and the other thing that you had mentioned was sharing power. Mm. I mean, that that's a word that I use, but it, it I think it gets to what yeah. what you had said a little bit ago. Mm-hmm. I know for us at the open table, one of the things that we've tried to do as we've tried to make a move towards being a multicultural space, because we didn't start out that way, but we recognize that that is that is our our mission, that is our vision. We want to be a non homogenous group of people. Mm-hmm. And we recognize that in order for that to flourish, we have to share power. We have to give up power. Mm. And I'm wondering if, if you've been a part of any, uh, I mean, you've mentioned that you, you'd been a part of, or, or at least visited the Kalamazoo church where that had happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just have a whole bunch of questions around sharing power. Because I know one of the things mm. is we, we've been able to, in our, in our own leadership team, we have uh, a, a couple of people of color who really identify with the open table first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really great to uh, begin to be more inclusive in our leadership group as well. But um, I know there's always, there's always more that can be done. Mm. And I know one of the questions that we often wrestle with is like, how do you avoid tokenizing, mm-hmm. if, if that makes sense? Because, yep. you know, I mean, we, we would love to have, I mean, what would it look like for us to have someone who is presently sleeping on the streets on our uh, leadership team? Because we want to make sure that we're actually welcoming to folks who are sleeping on the streets. Like, what better way to do that than to... And same thing with, like, LGBTQ folks. If we want to be open and affirming, um, how are we sharing the power in that way? Yeah, and I think I think power sharing is so important. I think what, um, what gets in the way um, of that being authentic... So, of course, you say you can tokenize people. You can have people in um, leadership positions and give them titles and have them be on committees. But um, you have to be careful of... Um, culture, and 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 so you have to be careful of those phrases of um, 
but this is the way that we do it. Well, I'm afraid that my people, our people, will not be comfortable mm-hmm. um, with this expression of worship. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be careful of those things because those things will sneak up on you and they'll seem very, very pragmatic. And um, I mean, they'll make sense to the group, but they'll 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 be the, the number one block towards approaching that that free and open space. And so I think um, once you have those people in those positions, you just set those norms. That there are no norms, <laughs> you know. Everything is everything is fair game, and uh, and we're going to discern together how we want to be the church. Mm-hmm. Chris, you and I first met when mm-hmm. I was on staff at St. Paul School of Theology, and you were a student. And um, I remember one of our one of the last uh, memories I have of when we were there uh, was us working on the song Draw the Circle Wide mm. by Mark Miller mm-hmm. for graduation. And that's that really gets at the heart of what we're trying to do with this series on Welcome at the Open Table. Like, how, how open is our table mm-hmm. is really the question that we're asking. And um, I appreciated your presence with us uh, a few Sundays ago um, during your conversation because I noticed afterward there were there were people who wanted to keep talking about it. Like, what can we do? What can mm-hmm. we do? Like, this is this is important. Mm-hmm. Um, and you sat down with them, and and um, and then the idea arose for this follow up conversation via mm-hmm. podcast. So, t- uh, tell a little bit why, what inspired you to want want to continue the conversation? Yeah, well, I think um, you know. So preaching, uh, I try to steer away from being uh, informational as much as possible, mm-hmm. as, as I can be inspirational, and so. Um, I wanted to kind of give flesh and bones to um, this idea, this dream of um, bringing people together. Um, I think that drawing the circle wide is um, what we see in the Book of Acts, and uh, we see that um, if you if you read it, it is all about the multicultural mission of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, God is spreading; the Spirit is being moved upon um, people that the Jewish Christian center did not believe that it could or that it could um, do it that way. And so, for instance, the Gentile, well, God can use them, but only if they get circumcised. Um, but God stepped in and moved to the apostles and said, that's not really God's vision. That God is actually having separate expressions, but it's all God. Mm-hmm. And how do we honor that? Um, and so I think that um, just, bringing, just bringing some flesh and bones to that, I think it's really important to continue to discuss. Can this this question just occurred to me? Sorry to spring it on you, mm-hmm. but uh, can you think of a metaphor or like a symbol for that would be a good expression of what you just said? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can come back to that. <laughs> I mean, I think that um, so one of the things I said in the talk was uh, that our unity it, it appears in a paradox um, because it appears as diversity. So we all have this deep, innate sense that we are all unified, that we all have um, a central core, um, something that connects all of us. Um, and, but, but it appears as separate expressions and different languages and different ways of doing things. And so how do we experience that as the body of Christ? How do we, we look at another part of our body and know that it's still us and not feel like it is just them? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we experience something that makes us feel uncomfortable? How do we experience Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter and not see them as diametrically opposed, but they're both occurring 
in the same body, mm-hmm. and they both are expressing needs that need to be um, addressed. Um, th- those kind of type of things. Uh, I think the the body metaphor that Paul gives is, is so powerful. If we really saw that, saw this not as a competition or um, a way of one-upping ourselves, but we're trying to improve the overall health of our body. Um, I think that that might get us closer to what, mm-hmm. we're, what we're going towards. Yeah, you spoke about skin being, actually, now that I think of it, yeah. <laughs> skin being a good metaphor for um, the body of Christ mm-hmm. and the, that unity and diversity in different layers. Mm-hmm. In, in, I think, part of the closing of your conversation, you mentioned um, the importance of the spiritual discipline of prayer. Mm-hmm. And um, I wondered what, how, where, how did you get there? Like, what were your experiences or teachers that led you to that? Mm-hmm. So, um, probably half of my childhood was in the Baptist church, and then the other half um, was in the Pentecostal church, which is very, very experience based. And um, we had we had six a.m. prayer um, mm-hmm. Sundays and Tuesdays. <laughs> Uh, we, we even did something called shut-in. So some churches have lock-ins. Mm-hmm. We had shut-in where we wouldn't we wouldn't play, like, video games and play tag in the basement. We would actually, like, we have maybe two or three sessions of te- teaching and preaching, mm-hmm. and then we would pray from about 1 o'clock until 6 o'clock in the morning. And 2,000 people are in this room just wow. praying. Um, and I think uh, that connection, <clears throat> that, that necessity for prayer, that connection to God, that experience-based knowledge, um, epistemology of who God is, that is revelatory and not just uh, something that happens in our brain space. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that um, has been really important. Um, I think I got it from, it started in the church. Um, I've even grown to appreciate a lot of the, um, the mystics, um, a, lot of, a lot of work by Richard Rohr, um, even uh, I have a Buddhist um, friend who, who does a lot with um, meditation. And I think that uh, there's, there's a common connection between all these streams that are pointing to the fact that um, we can access something that's beyond us. Mm-hmm. And I think that prayer, it happens at its best when, when we stop running out of ideas. I mean, I can, I can preach on this. Jesus <laughs> talks about how hard it will be for the rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, so it'd be harder for a camel to go through an eye of, eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And when you think about what does that mean, it means that um, the rich man has gotten used to making its own way. The rich man has had all these resources. And so what use is the kingdom of God? Um, and so Jesus implores all of us. He says, blessed are the pure, the pure in spirit. How do we let go of our own way and allow God to have God's way? The only way that you get accustomed to that is through prayer. The only way that you get accustomed to the presence of God and the leaning of God is to practice the presence of God. And that happens in the prayer space. So, It sounds like you're talking about surrender as well. Mm-hmm. So, so prayer from a surrendered yeah. place. You know, and one of the things that you had mentioned uh, at the open table was that we can't undo segregation mm-hmm. like we just can't do it mm-hmm. uh, but that's good news yeah and I would love for you to speak a little bit to that good news yeah. and then I, I have a, 
a specific question for you after that. Yeah, so when, when, when people reach their limits, when humanity reaches its limit, that is either an opportunity for humanity to, be, um, to give up and to be demoralized, or it's a prime opportunity for God's grace to shine through. Um, and what I'm asking, what I was asking at the open table and, and to the church, really, is that we not give up, but now we, we, we really lean not into our own understanding, but trust in God, um, that we begin to pray, that we begin to, to talk in um, what Methodists call, we call Christian conferencing, allow for the Spirit to move through that. And, and um, just as we were talking earlier, not to allow culture and, and our own way to get in, get in God's way, because God might have a way that we don't see. And so allowing, our, allowing ourselves to be surprised by the Spirit, um, to, to know that um, where God is leading us might not be where we thought we were going, but it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a really step-by-step thing. Um, it's hard to plan for the Spirit of God. <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard to make plans for the God's Spirit because God just has God's own way. Um, but it is that surrender. Yeah. So the open table, we, we are open to all folks. And sometimes we have some folks who come who don't have any sort of faith tradition. They would be mm-hmm. either agnostic or atheist. Mm-hmm. And a question that I wanted to ask you that night but didn't get around to asking is, how would they be able to enter into this work? What would you have to say to? Yeah, I think um, so. I think that we're all agnostic to some point. There's something yeah. about God that we don't know. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. And so I think that um, opening that space up to the agnostic is just um, recognizing our own deficiency and explaining who God is. And I think that's a good thing. Um, I think that there has to be some way for the spiritual person to access the, the, the pure consciousness, the, the universal God spirit that connects and um, is intelligent. Um, and so, but that does not have to look like my way. It does not have to look like um, the Lord's Prayer. It does not have to um, have a set formula. But I think it's important for those individuals to find some kind of practice. Um, we call them a means of grace. So we talk, we've been talking about grace Mm-hmm. Um, how do how do we access that grace? Then we have a means of grace, mm-hmm. uh, and so finding some kind of means of grace, some way of experiencing the presence of God. I mean, there are several um, spiritual teachers that will lead people into that conversation, but to really um, to engage those practices, I think that that would be a great way for the, everyone open table to um, be open to what those practices are and experience them as valid. Mm-hmm. But to your point, I think that um, people who are not accessing any kind of means to get to know um, God, I think that, that they will um, operate at a deficiency, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and so it's really, it's not, a, it's not an accusation, it's an invitation. Mm-hmm. Um, do some, do some dis- discovery. There's plenty of resources, um, plenty of agnostics, people who would not dare to call God a name. Um, Judaism being the, the quintessential one, they, they dare not speak God's name, but they have many means of grace by which they experience God. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, same with Buddhism to some extent. So there are plenty of ways. It's an invitation. Um, do some research. There's a lot out there. Um, and trust in those means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our next conversation in the It's Welcome series will be a multi-faith mm-hmm. panel. So I'm looking forward to having some of 
some of those conversations and it will include someone who identifies not not primarily as a person of faith so mm-hmm. uh, we yeah we value that those voices from different traditions as sources of wisdom and learning and mm-hmm. conversation partners even if we don't always agree mm-hmm. it's important to have those those skills mm-hmm. of, yeah. of community and relationship building and uh, speaking of community I wanted to ask where in Kansas City do you see signs of of life and grace and hope mm. um, happening these days? Yeah. <laughs> where, where is it happening? I think that it's happening everywhere. Um, I think that uh, more than seeing um, visible signs, I see, I, I see vast amounts of opportunities. I see um, people having conversations like this. I see people wanting to um, get to a, a stronger sense of unity and um, connection. Um, we have been so divided in our in our nation um, as a result of this past political season, especially, but definitely preceding it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I do sense that there's this yearning for us to come together um, uh, while allowing for a diverse expression of what coming together means. Um, and, and so I see that happening. Um, I just encourage people to continue to um, go with that, um, to have conversations, um, to to do those things that you never thought you would do. Um, one of my coworkers at church, he uh, happens to be at the other end of the political spectrum than I am, um, and I found great value in having conversations with him and building a relationship with him, mm-hmm. um, not to just to understand what he what he thinks, but to know who he is, to know that um, he's a person that mm-hmm. he uh, he has hopes and dreams. It's like I have hopes and dreams, um, and through that to allow something new to emerge between our relationship that would not have happened had we not been in a relationship with each other. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, because if you're just focusing on politics, yeah. then you don't have much room to grow in any sort of common ground yeah. to form a relationship. <laughs> yeah, actually, we went to a, um, a line dance. It's called the Whiskey Tango. <laughs> yes, out in somewhere outside of Kansas City, and uh, it was it was a it was an experience, um, <laughs> but it was it was great. It was great and uh, had a great time, and I value that relationship um, more than our political differences. And that's that's mm-hmm. the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Relationship and um, I think hearing the narrative of the other is often mm-hmm. what can change people's minds mm-hmm. when there's a barrier there to relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of, one of the last things that you had mentioned in your talk on Sunday was to uh, get to know folks. Like it's again going back to this relationship building thing. Mm-hmm. So if there are a number of churches that are predominantly white, mm-hmm. uh, generally speaking. The way they, the way that a lot of churches will try to be more multicultural is they will bring in a black choir mm-hmm. to do mm-hmm. that thing. Yeah. But still, there's probably not a deep relationship going on there. And mm-hmm. so you had suggested some things, and I, I would love it if you could share that again uh, for everybody, and as well as just mention maybe some pitfalls of things that you've seen, as well as here, mm-hmm. here, here are some ways that I think would be more authentic, a more authentic way for the church to. Uh, engage. Yeah, I think that the um, one of the basic building blocks of humanity is the relationship. 
And so if we um, are focused on having what we call one-on-ones and organizing, getting to know the other person. And um, when you're, and so this, this can happen in a, at a coffee shop, it can happen at a kitchen table, um, but really having a, a, a desire to know who this person is, where they're coming from, and what drives them. What is, what is their passion? What is the thing that makes them get, get up every morning? Um, is a great way not only to to know other people, but to, to mobilize people toward a common cause uh, and to invite their voices in um, and to make them feel valued. Um, a lot of people feel ostracized because they, they never get a chance to tell their story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if the open table or if the church can be a place where everyone can tell their story, um, whether that happens in a one-on-one conversation or happens um, in a plenary session, um, everyone knows that their story is valued. Um, I think that, that um, that's, a, that's a big step towards um, what, we're, what we're trying to get to. Mm-hmm. And you, you had mentioned this a little bit, but I, I'm always curious because the mystics have such a different way mm-hmm. of viewing things, yep. right? Because I, I think a lot of us can get into the kind of dualistic thinking mm-hmm. and we can engage in debates and that kind of thing. And one thing that I really appreciate about the mystic is they can kind of float above it and yeah. and look at it, mm. not like in a condescending way, but just be like, oh, I see this, I see this. Uh, how about this other way here? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I would love to, I would just love to hear more about the, the like what you think the mystic would have to say. I think that, um, I think that holiness, uh, what John Wesley really um, was calling the church towards and mysticism um, have shared gains where there's a uh, a detachment towards uh, a passionate um, kind of negative connection with the uh, with the effects of this life while complete engagement. And I think the the perfect example was Jesus, who um, was very very uh, engaged, but he wasn't so. Um, connected to his own body that he wasn't able to offer it up. And I think that that is the model that I, I look towards. Um, when, I, when I think about um, the current, especially racial debates, um, you know, I, I was a person that um, was always angry. <laughs> and uh, there's, there's, there's definitely a, a, a stream that rises up in me that wants to be angry or wants to point out that which is missing. But um, it didn't take me very long to figure out that that is never satisfied. Mm -hmm. That desire is never satisfied. And so how do we um, hear this? And how do I I experience this lack um, and be fully engaged with it, not be passive, uh, but also find my joy and sense of center in something else? Because I might, I might die and never get everything that I want in this life. Um, but that does not disqualify me from being satisfied mm-hmm. and to have a sense of peace and holiness. And I think that that's, a, that's a, um, an important thing. I think that the problem with um, the way that a lot of social justice is being portrayed these days is that you have a lot of, of people who are really broken um, spiritually and they're, and they're hoping that... Um, Temporal things will will um, will feed their spirit, and it's it, 
that's not really going to happen because you just keep asking for more and and you'll never you never be satisfied and so my prayer and hope is that if, if you look at and i'm rambling so <laughs> ramble away but uh if you look at martin luther king and malcolm x and um people like uh um Ahalia jackson um they had such a strength in what they were saying there was such a, a core that caused the nation the nation to respond mm-hmm. um that I think that that's what causes people to respond. It's not it's not my insecurity that makes situations around me become more stable. It's my security that brings a sense of security to a place. Um, the the image I just put on my Facebook um, that comes to mind is when Jesus is asleep on a boat while there's a storm going on, and uh, the apostles are are just besides themselves and they're like. Master, carest thou not that we are being tossed and and you can almost in the picture um, what, what I found is actually on display at Nelson Atkins. Mm-hmm. Jesus is sleeping is almost like, mm-hmm. can you just leave me alone? I'm trying to sleep, <laughs> yeah. you know. And yeah. they're on their wa- they're 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 in the boat in the water about to capsize. And I think that it was his inner peace that was able to communicate peace to the situation. And I think that um, the point of that story was not the fact that he could bring calm to the storm is that he was calling the disciples to that same sense of peace mm. so that they all could be asleep on the storm mm. and speak to the storm if it, if it need arise you know and so I think that that's when I think about the mystics and I think about what they have to offer is how do we get that sense of strong sense of center so that when we look at when we speak to a, a system a society that is in chaos how do we bring stability to that chaos from the inside out? Mm-hmm. And I expect for it to come from the outside in. Yeah, that's good. It, it, and it makes, me, it makes me think about ego, mm-hmm. right? Because you have the Kinesis hymn mm-hmm. uh, where Jesus, it, it just talks about Jesus almost having an emptying mm-hmm. out you know, of mm-hmm. ego. And it's that path towards suffering love. Mm-hmm. And I know that in a lot of social justice circles, like with everybody, we're all broken. All of us have a certain amount of ego that can creep up from time mm-hmm. to time. But it's like, what do we do with that? And mm-hmm. what I hear you saying is that ego needs to go. Yeah. And when selfless love can kick in, security mm-hmm. kicks in, and there's a certain gravitas that's suddenly there that wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. But it can only happen when we let go of Yeah. Ego. You know what's funny about that hymn? It's in Philippians 2, if, you, if, you, if you're at home want to look it up. Jesus, it says that he did not seek notoriety. He didn't. He didn't seek his own way. But he got the very thing that he wasn't trying to seek. He's now esteemed as the most glorious being that ever lived, and now sees at the right hand of the Father. And we acknowledge him in the Christian tradition as um, God, um, part of the Trinity. And so it, there is that sense in which, in that emptying, you actually get what you need. Um, Jesus even talks about it. Um, in Matthew 6, I've been reflecting on this a lot lately, where he says, take no thought for what you shall eat or drink or or, or wear, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Um, and it's righteousness. And so how do we, how do we seek that out dispassionately uh, um, and, and know that and trust that God's going to make a way um, out of no way. That's, that's, 
that's quintessential black theology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, God will make a way out of no way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that, I think that's what the mystics have to offer. That's what the black church has to offer. And I hope that um, in our spiritual seeking that we'll find that place again. Mm. I think we have to be careful when we're having this conversation about, um, as you said, kenosis in this uh, Philippians 2 passage, because um, for a lot of people who are have been marginalized their entire lives, uh, the concept of self-emptying is something they have had for, sort of forced upon them. Um, so I think for me as a white person of privilege, I've had I've been convicted um, that I really need to take that into consideration when I'm, I'm having that biblical conversation with folks. Like um, a lot of times it, it's me who needs to focus on the self-emptying and maybe mm. that they need to be empowered more um, to be lifted up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that mysticism always points back to the self. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, you just re- that's very important is that we need to continue to look at how can I be empty in this situation? Mm-hmm. How can I contribute to justice in this situation? Yes. For me, sometimes self-emptying might be speaking up mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I have to let go of that desire to hide mm-hmm. and to not um, have an equal place at the table because I've been trained to do so. So I think that's a really important point. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think it's great, and it's it's good news for all different types. Good news looks different for different people, Yeah. Mm-hmm. but but it's all good news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Amen. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, we hope to do more of these podcasts in the future uh, where we just continue the conversation a little bit deeper beyond our gathering. So stay tuned. <laughs>